to have you uh, join us today. I'm going to begin with a prayer, uh, which was uh, a prayer uh, that was uh, written by Martin Macronius, who was a Dutch reformer who planted a church in London, and it seems a suitable prayer as we come to the Ten Commandments today. So please join me in prayer. O Heavenly Father, whose law is perfect, converting the soul, a sure testimony, giving wisdom to the unlearned and enlightening the eyes, we humbly implore you through your boundless goodness to enlighten our blind intellect by your Holy Spirit so that we may truly understand and profess your law and live according to it. Since it has pleased you, most merciful Father, to reveal the mysteries of your will only to the little ones, and since you look to him who alone is of humble and contrite spirit, who has reverence for your word, grant us a humble spirit and keep us from all fleshly wisdom, which is enmity against you. Bring to the right way those who stray from the truth, so that we all may unanimously serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. We ask this from you, most merciful Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I didn't have the money, but I really wanted it. And so when no one was looking in the supermarket, I opened the pack and pulled out one of the collection cards that I didn't have, and I stuck it in my pocket. I was sure everyone could see my guilt. I felt dread that someone would stop me on the way out of the shop, but no one did. It was now mine. At the age of nine, I became a thief. And that lure of stealing uh, is something that uh, seems to be very popular today. It's an increasingly popular crime. Uh, last week, it was reported that the number of shoplifting incidents uh, have risen from 1.6 million in 2013 to 7.9 million uh, last year, with the value of what has been shoplifted being worth about 953 million pounds. Now, that wasn't me because I stopped. So there's a few other people at it. All stealing is gain at someone else's unwilling expense. Now, what does God have to say about that? Well, please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, and you'll find that on page 77 in the church Bibles, Exodus chapter 20. And if you're visiting us here today, then uh, let me explain. We've been working through the book of Exodus Sunday by Sunday, and in recent weeks, we've been slowing down and looking at each of the Ten Commandments in turn. We've been considering how each of these commandments given to God's people under the Old Covenant uh, of Moses now applies to us as new covenant uh, people through faith in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to specifically focus on the eighth commandment found in verse 15. But let me start by reading the opening two verses of chapter 20 just to remind us who is speaking. Exodus chapter 20 verse 1. 
And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And if you go and look at verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. Well, three main points today. Firstly, we should honor property by not stealing. Once again, this is a commandment that only has two Hebrew words in the original language. And it sounds like this, lo ganath, no stealing. It's pretty straightforward. It's simple to understand. Do not take what does not belong to you. It covers stealing of persons, kidnapping. It covers stealing of possessions. It's that idea of secretly taking something without the owner's consent, carrying something away by stealth. It's a clear command that is broken so often that it touches every person's life here today. Uh, back in about seven years ago, uh, my family and I were on holiday in France when we had an email from our neighbor across the road saying, um, is there any reason why your cars are not in the drive? And we said, well, not to our knowledge, they should be in the drive. Well, guess what happened? Uh, while we were on holiday, uh, some people broke into the back of our house, smashed through our patio doors, stole some, of, some jewelry, mainly my wife's, so I don't really have jewelry, uh, stole a lot of um, electronic goods, Playstations, that was devastating for the boys. And, uh, and then they stole, um, my son had a car, at that time Sean and I had a car, three sets of car keys and stole our cars. So I guess there was more than one. Well, thankfully, we paid insurance. So we don't think about it, but we're all paying the price of crime, of theft in this nation, aren't we? We're all paying insurance. Insurance for our cars, insurance for our uh, stuff, insurance for our homes, every key in our pocket, every password online. And it's getting exhausting, isn't it? It was so straightforward. You could just put password. And then they said, no, you've got to include a number. Okay, password one. And they said, no, you've got to have a special character. Password one, exclamation point. You need more than eight. Password one, two exclamation points. Or is it three now? It's fine. All my banking details are under that. It'll be fine. Uh, no, they're not. No, no. No, I've got much more canny ways of doing it. But of course... Our lives are constantly shaped by the fact that actually theft and stealing is rife in our culture. And you know what? The whole experience of working with the insurance agency was quite fascinating because we had to provide lots of proof that what we claimed was stolen, we actually owned. Because it turns out people try and diddle the insurance people by claiming for stuff that they didn't have, apparently. And there's a whole myriad ways that we can steal. Workplace theft, stealing tools from the factory or resources from our company. Or, or as employees, we can steal time from our employers by not really working that hard uh, for the hours that we are contracted to work. Stealing also involves dishonest trading. And here's a lovely picture by Leslie Thrasher from 1936. Uh, where both the butcher and the customer are smiling, unaware that they're both trying to get more for less as they both look to tip the scales in different locations. 
directions. But cowboy builders, dishonest quotations, starting work that is never completed. It covers a whole lot of white-collar crime, they call it. Uh, I think it's called creative accounting, isn't it? Delayed payment of bills, sharing Netflix accounts, illegal downloads of copyrighted materials, taking intellectual property without permission, false advertising, dishonest expense claims, not paying proper wages, tax evasion. But God's word was clear for his covenant people. While such things are common amongst godless people, as his holy people, they were to be different. Lo, ganav, no stealing. Do not take what does not belong to you. We can uh, move that on, I think. But why should we honor property by not stealing? Well, like all commandments, this is rooted in God's purposes in creation. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 again. Each of these commandments flows out of what God purposed in his very act of creation. So look at Genesis chapter 1. Let me remind you of these familiar words. Chapter 1, verse 1. Page 3 in the church Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. Here's the point. All of creation belongs to God. The land, the sea, the minerals, the gold, the silver, the diamonds, the lithium, the animals, the cattle, the sheep, the fields, the plants, they all belong to God. He created it out of nothing by his powerful word. And God said, and it was so, and God declared it was good. The Lord God created it all on his own, by his own power and wisdom. We learn from the New Testament that the Word through whom God created all things was God the Son who took on human flesh, the man Christ Jesus, and the Spirit of God hovering over the deep. The third person of the Trinity is the means by which uh, life uh, is animated throughout all of creation. All of creation belongs to God. And where do we fit into it? We'll take a look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so secondly, note with me that we honor property by good stewardship. You see that mankind are given stewardship over creation for God's glory. Men and women are to be like God within his creation. As God creates, rules, cares for his creation, um, he created mankind to be his royal sons and daughters who have a delegated rule over his creation to have the ability to be creative, to exercise authority and control over the animals and to be gardeners and farmers who cultivate the land and grow plants for food. He puts them in the, in the Garden of Eden where there is work and there's enjoyment of their work done as an act of worship to God. Um, there's gold in the land to be discovered, we find in chapter 2. There's the work of science to engage in and Adam is called to carefully observe the animals and to classify and name them, which is the foundation of all science. Um, there are the trees and the plants that are beautiful to look at and delicious to eat, apples and pears and strawberries and apricots and oranges and raspberries. Oh, lunch is coming. All can be taken. All can be enjoyed except one tree in the middle of the garden, uh, the tree of the knowledge of uh, of good and evil, this was the one tree that must not be eaten from on penalty of death. Uh, God gave mankind all these things to be temporary custodians of them. We're entrusted with the wealth of God's creation to be good stewards who care for it and, and live productively within it in humble submission to our Creator, doing it all for His glory. That's how God created the world. But of course, it doesn't really describe the world we live in today, does it? The disorder, the crime, the social breakdown, the violence, the war and destruction we see today came about because Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan. Uh, they rebelled against the rule of God. They became thieves, taking the fruit of the tree they were told not to take. We want more. We want more land, and so we fight to take it. We live in a sin-cursed world of our own sinful making. Mankind wanted all of creation without wanting to recognize the Creator, His authority, and His will. And many live today as if there's no Creator. And as a consequence, the only thing they deify is the world. They live for the possessions. They live for the stuff. That's their God rather than the God who created all things. And yet God is so incredibly gracious and kind. He continues to bring sunshine and rain, to bring crops in season, to provide us with plenty of good, to fill our hearts with joy. He's not far from any of us, uh, the apostles preached in Acts. And throughout history, he has, he has actually kept graciously calling men and women back into relationship with him. So if you read on the book of Genesis, you're going to come across Abraham. And God chose Abraham. He calls him into relationship. He promises to bless him and through him to be a blessing to the nations. 
Fast forward to Exodus chapter 20 where we just read from. And here is the very nation that God promised he would, would come out of Abraham. And they're standing in front of Mount Sinai. They've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They're on the cusp of heading into the promised land that God had given them. And um, God gives them the maker's instructions of how to live the good life. We've been seeing in the Ten Commandments, it breaks down to loving God and, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And the land he's going to give them is described like the Garden of Eden, a land flowing with milk and honey, with plenty of rain. When they bring the grapes back, they need a few people to carry this bountiful supply of grapes to show them what the land looks like. And the way they would enjoy this blessed life is by loving God and loving their neighbors as themselves. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. They would be given a land, but they would need to remember that they're only stewards of that land for the glory of God. They only got temporary ownership of it. And the way God sets up the things for Israel makes this abundantly clear as we're going to keep reading on in your Bibles. Every seventh year was to be a sabbatical year where they didn't uh, work the fields. They were supposed to let the fields have a rest. So they would just rely on food from previous harvests um, and uh, eat whatever naturally grew that year. Every 50 years, uh, whatever land had been bought and sold, 50 years, everything was returned back to the original allotment of the 12 tribes of Israel. When people bought and sold land, it was on the basis of how many harvests they would be able to gather uh, before the year of Jubilee. And when they harvested, they're told, look, don't go to the very edges of the fields. Don't go back over the fields again. Allow the poor to come into your fields and harvest fruits so they're provided for as well. All the while, Israel was being taught that they should honor property by being good stewards over God's creation. They had rights to own property and have personal possessions, but to do so in such a way that they cared for the poor who did not. Now, in our Old Testament reading, uh, we had one of the last acts of King David, uh, who was to lead the nation in, in a very significant way, as he generously gave from his own accumulated wealth to resource the building of the temple. And that temple when they entered the land, the temple that was going to be built there was the place that symbolized the very presence and dwelling place of God amongst his people. And the temple was a way for them to say, yes, we want you to be at the heart of our nation. We want you to be the heart of our lives. And um, this would be the place where uh, fellowship could, could, they could be had. The, the problem of sin could be dealt with through sacrifice. And uh, David, leading the way, gave of his own wealth. And the leading families of the tribes of Israel also gave of their gold and their silver and their bronze and their iron and their wood and their precious stones just so that ensure that this temple would be built. And as we heard earlier, uh, as David prays, he acknowledges, um, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Well, we saw that from creation, didn't we? Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And he goes on later. Everything comes from you. And we have 
given you only what comes from your hands. This is the profound understanding of knowing that God is the creator of all things. Anything that we have has only been given to us from his hand. It all belongs to him. We are temporary stewards. This is a biblical perspective on possessions. A humble recognition. It all belongs to him. We're temporary stewards. And the key question is, will we be faithful stewards of what he's entrusted to us? You see, there is a legitimate way that we can gain wealth. And the Bible calls it work. Honest work. And so the lazy sluggard in, uh, in Proverbs is told to look at the ants. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. That's the legitimate way to gain personal wealth. It's through honest work. And then Jesus, remember, tells us a parable about the, uh, the, the, the master who gives gold to his servants. He's going on a long journey and he calls his servants in. And, and then the one who receives the five bags of gold, uh, as soon as he receives them, immediately goes off and puts the money to work. And so when his master returns, he's able to actually double the investment. And so he returns 10 bags of gold to his master. Well done, the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy. And then the man with two bags similarly uh, was able through business and investments to return four bags of gold. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the servant entrusted with one bag of gold did no investment. He didn't even put the money in the bank to gain interest, but he hid it in the ground. He was a wicked and lazy servant, deserving of condemnation, Jesus says. God's people are to honor possessions by not stealing them, but instead by wise work and good stewardship to live productively in this world to the glory of God. You see, to steal is to rob other people of the resources that God has entrusted to them to provide for them. And we're dishonoring our neighbor and failing to love them by stealing their resources. And in so doing, we're actually dishonoring God by showing that we don't trust the Lord God to provide for us through the regular means of honest work and dependence upon Him. Thirdly, we should honor property by sharing with those in need. See, in our sinful rebellion against God, uh, it's shown in many ways, isn't it? But it is shown in this culture of crime and theft that's all around us. It's gaining at someone else's unwilling expense. And do you know what? There are many thieves in this building. I've already told you I was a thief at the age of nine. And I'm, I'm a pastor here, my goodness. Have you stolen anything? 
You've stolen time, stolen resources. Have you stolen? You're a thief. And the Ten Commandments stands over you in condemnation. But here's the wonderful thing. Saving grace makes us rich. The amazing good news about Jesus Christ is that we gain spiritual riches and salvation from Jesus at his willing expense. This amazing verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Matthew tells us that two robbers were crucified with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. As Isaiah prophesied about his servant, the Savior would be numbered amongst the transgressors. In his death, he was considered as a thief. The one who was co-equal with God did not consider his equality with God, his position, his wealth, his power as something to grasp, but actually as the very reason to give. And he made himself nothing. He took on human flesh. He became a servant. And then he went to the humiliating death of the cross. The one who never took what did not belong to him gave of himself in order to be a substitute for sinners who steal for people who defraud, for people who break God's commandments, taking their punishment in his death upon the cross. He was rich, made himself poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Rich in righteousness, rich in access to a holy God, rich as those adopted into his family, rich in receiving every spiritual blessing in Christ, rich in inheriting the earth. Don't bother stealing it. You're going to get it in the new heavens and the new earth. And no one's going to take it off you. It won't corrode and be stolen there. This saving grace makes us rich. And you see, when that grips our hearts, then even in material poverty, we'll be marked by generosity. So, I mean, turn to 2 Corinthians. This is quite amazing, really. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and you'll find this on uh, page 1163, 1163. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. See, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's, and he's trying to encourage them to follow through on their promise to, to give to the relief of the poor Christians in, in Jerusalem. And he reminds them about the example of the Christians in Macedonia. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. 
entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Now, how amazing is this? This grace, when it grabs our heart, causes the poor to beg to give. Isn't that striking? They're begging, these poor people are begging for the opportunity to give. That's what happens when grace grips our hearts. When the saving grace of the Lord Jesus grabs us, we're eager to give. That's how Jesus transforms the lives of thieves who steal. He turns them into givers. Think about our New Testament reading. That wee little man, Zacchaeus, the greedy tax collector. Tax collectors were rough back then, right? You know, they're good good guys now, aren't they? We all love tax collectors. They're honest, fair people. But back then... They had the power of the Roman uh, Empire behind them, and they would basically extort. They would collect the tax, but they also collect extra. They would be, uh, have muscle. They're like mob, the mob, really, taking, taking more than they required and getting very wealthy. And then there's this guy, Zacchaeus. And amazingly, people can't quite believe it, but Jesus stops, looks up a tree, sees Zacchaeus, and says, Come down from the tree, because I'm staying with you today in your house. And it starts everybody going, my goodness, what's he doing? Going, spending time with this sinner. But it was clear that salvation had come to his house and transformed his life because he stands up and declares, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What happens when grace grips the heart of a thief? Well, the repentance looks to actually provide compensation for their crimes. Salvation turns crooks into generous givers. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This is a great text. So keep moving forward in your Bibles. Galatians, Ephesians. And if you turn to chapter 4 and verse 28, that's on page 1176. Look at this wonderful text. There's lots of surprises in this text. Ephesians 4 verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So Paul expects there to be thieves in the church in Ephesus. I can testify there are thieves in this room. We had one older lady, and she loved our church Bibles. And um, when someone visited once, they found about 20 church Bibles. So every Sunday, she'd keep taking another one. Well, you've got to love someone who loves the Word of God, but it was helpful maybe to give some of them back. But uh... Rob Torseth was about to walk off with a pew Bible. He took it out of the pew. He was going to take it out of the church. But no, I've saved you from theft today, Rob, haven't I? Got it back off you. So Paul expects that there'll be thieves in the church. But the grace of the Lord Jesus transforms the lives of thieves in these wonderful ways. They stop stealing. And instead, they use their thieving hands to do proper work. And the reason for doing proper paid work so that they will have something to share with those in need. This is how transforming grace changes people. They work 
in order to find ways to share with others. Isn't that beautiful? You see, the eighth commandment, the eighth word from Sinai teaches us to honor property by not stealing, by becoming good stewards of, um, of his creation so that we can share with those in need to the glory of God. I invite the singers and the band to come up. Isn't God amazing? The grace he shows in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the whole realm of nature mine. That would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.